This is Anatomy of Violence, a podcast brought to you by the Center on Violence Against Women and Children at Rutgers University. My name is Jamie Ken, and I want to talk more about violence on university campuses and what we can do to help people who experience violence. Each of our episodes will focus on how violence impacts our community, our friends, and our loved ones. We hope that this podcast will be a resource for understanding what violence on campuses can look like, how it can impact students, faculty, and staff, and how people can access services after they've been victimized. Before we dive into a discussion about violence on campuses, I want to address some language that I'm going to use throughout our episodes. I'll be using both victim and survivor to refer to people who have experienced violence. This might not seem significant to some, but it is really important to talk about because these terms can evoke a lot of different feelings from folks, and some people may prefer one term over the other, or maybe even both. People can identify in any way that they want. Some people might feel like they're at a point in their experience where they identify as a victim because of the harm that was caused, and others may wish to call themselves survivors because that's where they are. It also might not be two separate terms for people. They might feel like both a victim and a survivor at different points, or even at the same time. So I'm going to be using both terms, and I recognize that victimization and harm that goes along with experiences of violence, you know, that might help capture some of the trauma that people feel. But I also want to emphasize that experiences of violence don't define a person, that there is healing, empowerment, and growth, and using the term survivor is also really important. The first big question that we need to address is, what exactly do we mean by violence on campuses? It's a really big question with a lot of complicated answers, and I think one of the best people to explain what we mean here is Dr. Sarah McMahon, the director of the Center on Violence Against Women and Children. So we know that violence comes in many shapes and forms, and it it really covers a wide range of behaviors. Uh, So, for example, when we talk about dating violence, it may include physical violence, emotional or psychological abuse, sexual abuse, digital or technological abuse, financial abuse, um, which is controlling someone's finances or acting in ways that are controlling or coercive and more. And the common thread across all these different behaviors that fall under this umbrella of violence is that it's a pattern of behaviors where one person is using power and control over the other. And for that reason, I really like calling these different behaviors um, forms of power-based violence. Within these power-based acts of violence, there's often a spectrum, and some of the behaviors on the spectrum at one end are more overtly abusive and recognized by most people as violent. Um, So, for example, somebody who commits a physical, an act of physical violence and punches another person may be regarded as a more overt form of violence that most people would say is wrong and there's accountability for the person who has done that. But there are other forms of violence sort of along this continuum that maybe aren't regarded as violent but are still really harmful and contribute to violence. Things like unwanted sexual touching, emotional abuse where there's no physical contact, uh, and stalking behaviors 
And then there's there are also behaviors that might be seen as falling on the lower end of the continuum that might not be violent in and of themselves, but they contribute to an atmosphere where violence and discrimination and othering is tolerated. So things like sexist and racist jokes or ranking people's appearances. When we look at violence like Dr. McMahon described, we can see that violence can impact anybody on a campus and violence affects everyone differently. Our experiences of violence can be compounded by any past trauma or marginalized identities. So people of color, sexual and gender minorities, women, all of these pieces of our identity puzzle can impact the ways in which we experience violence and whether or not we want to or can access services. Um, It's important for us to think about the ways that these types of sexual violence, dating violence, and stalking intersect with other forms of violence and oppression and harm, um, including structural forms like racism, homophobia, ableism, and other types of discrimination that are, are based on people's identities. Violence on college and university campuses isn't necessarily all that different when compared to the types of violence occurring outside of campuses. But it's important to look at the differences. It's the setting of the violence that occurs on campuses that makes victims' experiences unique. Students who are in college may live in close proximity to the person who is perpetrating the harm. They may need to face them in classes um, or in student organizations or may see them on campus. So for those reasons, it can be especially challenging for survivors of different types of violence to feel safe and protected. Another issue that comes up for college campuses is the role of the university as a whole and the level violence of institutional isn't just when someone hits someone else. It's while there are also when pattern of an institution dismissing a group of people on their experience. Of violence. Institutions also have a responsibility to provide resources for students. College campuses present a lot of unique challenges, but there are also places that provide positive opportunities for change around what we consider violence to be and how we can help one another. Another piece that I just want to mention, as somebody who's focused and interested in thinking about how we can prevent violence from happening before it occurs, is that we also have unique situations on campus where individuals have the chance to intervene to try to interrupt or disrupt different forms of violence. And so whether it's in a traditional sort of idea of a party or within a dorm setting or just with folks hanging out, um, that because of that close proximity and because of the sense of connection that students and members of the campus may have to one another, there's an opportunity to really speak up and disrupt behaviors that are leading to violence or are actually violence in and of themselves. Without a doubt, violence on college campuses is a community issue. It has a ripple effect. If we think about someone that has been victimized, then the people that care about that person are also affected. Sometimes in ways like secondary trauma, through hearing about their loved one's experience, or even witnessing it. So we know that violence can impact anybody. And I would argue that violence impacts everybody. 
Some people are directly victimized. Violence is something that affects not only individuals, but groups and larger communities and our society as whole. Violence is something that's not good for those who are victimized, and it's not good for those who are On a broader spectrum. Nor we for know that violence has caused a host of negative impacts for both in individuals and also peer group. We can Another see that violence can impact a victim or survivor's why academic ability or their Rutgers ability to certainly work not the only universal isolating or violence work or through mental not even health the best struggles on their own. We also know What's that violence is can that also impact has a long history of providing services to victims and survivors. Social networks, our institution has learned a lot once they know that harm has still continuing to remember about what victims can need and how to best on their safety and in the early 1990s there were not many universities that had a standalone office to work specifically on these issues staffed with people who had professional experience and um, specialized knowledge about trauma and how to work with survivors of different types of violence the first Office of Violence Prevention and Victim Assistance was actually established in 1991 in New Brunswick by Ruthann Koenig. That office started out because there was a rash of sexual assaults that occurred within the New Brunswick community, and there was a task force created, and one of their recommendations was to create a standalone office to work with students around these issues. And it started off as a one-person office, um, and they brought in somebody with great expertise, and the office grew exponentially over the years. In addition to providing crisis intervention, which was available and has been 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to anybody in the Rutgers community affected by different types of violence, the office added prevention and education and awareness raising as an important goal. And this ties in with the idea that violence is a community issue and one where we all have a responsibility to take action to try to create communities that are safe, that are healthy, that are based on respect, that are welcoming, and where people feel that they're part of the greater campus community. With this long history of involvement in victim services and violence prevention, our university's leadership and campus groups have created a university-wide message that violence will not be tolerated. It can be prevented, and victims and survivors deserve to have access to services that actually help them. Violence on a college campus needs to be comprehensive. And so we have adopted what we call a whole school approach. And the idea of a whole school approach actually comes from the field of bullying, where the idea is that it's not just about focusing on the bully or the person who's being victimized, but it's looking at the whole system around the bullying. And so we've tried to take that approach at Rutgers when we're addressing violence issues. That it's not just about the person who may have experienced victimization, nor is it just about the person who has perpetrated the harm, but we're looking at this as a holistic picture and one where everyone on the campus actually has a role to play in trying to create safe and welcoming climates and a campus where people feel appreciated and safe. This culture of understanding that violence is a community issue has set a standard that anyone can help play a role in violence prevention on campus. We recognize that everyone should play a role in addressing violence. Students can intervene or learn how to help connect someone to victim services. 
faculty and staff can be trained and know what to do when someone discloses victimization to them. We also need to find ways to equip people with time, space, and skill development so that they understand their role and can find ways to be involved in, in a way that's comfortable to them and that they understand the many options that they have for contributing. Not everybody feels comfortable directly confronting a situation, but if people know about resources on campus, they may be able to contact a resource. If our resident assistants are trained, then they may be able to talk to somebody in res life. And so it's really trying to develop a comprehensive approach that includes the value and the belief that everybody has a role to play and also providing the education and skill development so that those can manifest in ways that are beneficial to the community. We also believe that trauma-informed approaches are really important in everything that we do, from the way that we receive disclosures from students to the way we provide crisis intervention, follow-up services, and advocacy, the way that we investigate or adjudicate these experiences, the way that we work with students in healthcare settings uh, and in academic accommodations. And so there's been a real commitment throughout the university to understand what trauma-informed even means and then to try to adjust our policies, our procedures, and our practices accordingly. Rutgers is by no means a perfect place, and part of the work that the university continues to do is address racism and inaccessibility within our institutions and services. In general, I think that we're all better understanding the need to look at how forms of sexual violence, dating violence, and stalking intersect with other forms of oppression, harm, and discrimination. And to not only look at that in our research, but then to translate that into practice on our campuses. So bringing together people who work in these different areas, which may have been siloed, is important to be able to have conversations about how our programs and policies and procedures can reflect a more intersectional approach, both to prevention and also responding to violence. It's important that we recognize that marginalized students can and do regularly experience what Jennifer Freed calls institutional betrayal. Freed uses this term to explain the experience of survivors that felt that their institution did not properly respond or support them when they came forward about their experiences. The opposite, Freed says, would be institutional courage, which describes an institution that listens to survivors' needs, is open to change, and actually does something to make those changes. There's a large body of research that shows that the response that survivors receive affects their well-being and their health and their trajectory. And that includes the response of anyone who receives a disclosure. So it could be a peer, it could be a faculty member, a parent, some other adult, but it's also the institution as a whole. And that is something that we really need to be taking a close look at. I think at Rutgers that we've been cognizant of that and are trying to work from a place of institutional courage, knowing that there's still a lot more that we need to learn and and continue to do. And so this is not a one-time process where we're conducting a survey 
or having a one-time program, but we see this as an ongoing process that needs to continuously be refined and revisited. One of the most important pieces holding this messy Jenga tower together is the buy-in from the whole Rutgers community. There's always room to grow, and we are really fortunate to have senior leadership who actively support the work that's being done to support victims and survivors and continuously improve services. Smo Snyder, a project coordinator at the Center on Violence Against Women and Children, provides some insight on what it's like to be a part of the team that works closely with Rutgers administration to expand victim services to all four of Rutgers campuses. Interesting, because sometimes it could be sort of a pain um, because there are so many collaborators and there's so many stakeholders. There's not much that happens that doesn't have to go through a whole advisory board and all of the campuses. Um, But that is also sort of, I think, what makes it so successful is that there is so much buy-in and that we have these quarterly advisory board meetings that involve senior leadership, um, you know, general counsels there, and they're all really, really invested in the work that we're doing. And it really shows because I don't think we could do half the stuff that we do if we didn't have um, senior leadership sort of uh, lifting us up to do it. Arguably, the most important buy-in of all has come from our students. Without their willingness to participate or their dedication to improving their school, none of this would be possible. Giving students a leading role in shaping victim services at Rutgers has allowed our university to create a unique place of passion, innovation, and resilience. We worked with all of these groups to get their perceptions about how the university addressed sexual violence, um, what could be improved, and what students thought would be the best way uh, to continue to make this an issue where the entire community felt engaged in finding solutions. A lot of times the really wonderful work that's happening on our campuses that is innovative and forward-thinking and change-oriented is being led by students. And so part of what we're hoping to do is to continue to elevate the work of student leaders and provide support for them and to encourage their leadership and uh, partnership with the various other individuals at the university who have power in decision making. I hope this episode provides some insight on what Rutgers is doing to help empower victims and survivors, as well as what we consider violence on campuses to be. We're looking forward to bringing you more episodes diving into violence on campuses and what we can best do to help survivors and what that work looks like on Rutgers University's campuses. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to reach out, send us an email at vawc at ssw.rutgers.edu. Thanks for listening.